You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Everybody, how are you? Doing well? Hey, welcome here to the Burke Room. Uh, I just want to reiterate once again how grateful I am that we have this space. It was, uh, for those of you who maybe this is your first time in this space, um, you know, the, our, our church has been around for a very long time, almost 40 years and more than 30 years on this property. And uh, a number of years back, probably six or maybe even seven years ago, uh, there was some real faith in the community that met here saying, listen, I think we need to expand our facility. I think we need a conference room and a new kids area and new staff offices and local outreach to serve the community. And and we need to expand this building in order that we can serve uh, the community that God has called us to love. And little did they know as as they were, you know, (laughs) moving ahead in faith and fundraising and that initial pledge came in where four million dollars was pledged and then later 6.5 million dollars was given and then another campaign and there's people who are currently contributing to the campaign to pay for this building. Little did they know that we were going to launch a campus in the city of Port Moody and right after launching in the month of January 2022 we were going to need a home. We were going to need a place and a space to to belong and to worship and to connect with one another. And so I am so, so grateful for this space. And I just want to reiterate that one more time, although I desperately miss Port Moody. (laughs) And it mourns my heart as I drive past the school each morning and even throughout the week. And I'm praying that the Lord would allow us to meet back in that space as soon as possible. And I'm, I'm really expecting and hopeful that we'll be back there in February. We are continuing in our series in Ephesians. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because we're in Coquitlam, but I'm going to use a little bit of a Port Moody illustration here. And uh, if you've lived in the city of Port Moody, you will notice that the people who live there, uh, we, we, have a, we have a tendency to, to all begin to look like and act like and be like one another. The longer you live in Port Moody, the more Port Moody in you become. Uh, it's just a, it's a, it's, it's a law, it's a rule. I'm not sure what it is. It's something in the air. It might be the water. It might be the proximity to the sea. But there, but there are just things that begin to happen. For instance, here's one thing that almost seems mandatory, mandatory in the city of Port Moody, to own a dog, all right? To own a dog. It's like, it feels like everyone has a dog. Uh, the wearing of blundstones. There are more blundstones per capita than any other place in the rest of the Tri-Cities. If you have a baby, you must, you, you must have an upper baby stroller, okay? It's like there's no other stroller that is acceptable. Uh, and if you're like Jessica and I, as we push our non-upper baby stroller, you get, you get looks. Like, you know, I, I once had someone offer me charity, like, oh, you can't afford the upper baby. Like, maybe we could help you out. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> if you live in Port Moody, you'll spend your, your weekends walking in nature or at local coffee shops or breweries or find yourself eating ice cream far more often than you should. 
I promise you, <laughs> if you live in Port Moody long enough, uh, your life will include some of these things, boutique shops, right? Locally made, right? These, these types of things, nature walks. If you live there long enough, it will include all, if, or some, if not all, of these things. If you live in Port Moody long enough, you will do as the Port Moodyites do. Do you call them Port Moodyites or Port Moodyins? I'm not sure. Uh, Inns? Okay, thank you. Is there a rule about... Ites. Okay, she's saying ites. Okay, vote. Who's, who says Port Moody ites? Put up your hands. Okay, Port Moody ins. Okay, oh, okay, I think that one. Okay, that's good. Whether you live in Port Moody or not, if you spend uh, time there, you'll know what I'm talking about. And I think um, one of the greatest challenges for us as people, but especially for Christians, is this. Is that it's, it's to actually be in the world and in a place, but not of it. It's to be in the world, but not of it. And you've heard this expression before if you spent any time in church, that we as people are called to be in the world, but not of the world. To, the, the challenge for us is to be a member of a, a community, a city, a workplace, a family, and yet not totally and completely embrace, embody, and, uh, and emulate its culture, its qualities, and its values. And this is what Paul is calling us to today. In today's text, the challenge to the Ephesians is this, to no longer live like the Ephesians do, to no longer live like the Gentiles do, but to model their lives after Jesus and embrace a new way of living that aligns with their identity and, and who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And this, this is a great challenge for them, and I believe it'll be a great challenge for us. And so, let's jump into the text. And uh, so, if you're willing and able, you please stand as we read God's Word. Most important words you're going to hear today. We're going to be starting uh, reading Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Verse 17. Here's what Paul says. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But this isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life with it's corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. God, this is your word. It's challenging. <laughs> it, it maybe has already some of the words as we've heard them began to cut. We began to question. We may have cringed or shuddered because these are strong words. You're calling us to something higher. You're calling us to something more. You're calling us to be in this world but not of it. To model our lives after the person of Jesus Christ. To live in light of the new reality that you've given us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so I pray today, God, that I would not be 
primarily the one speaking, although I am audibly, but that Holy Spirit, you'd be speaking to hearts and minds, and you'd be helping us to sort through this about what this means for the way that we think and the way that we live. And so Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this space. I pray that you would speak to us now in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Paul says, he says, with the Lord's authority, with the Lord's authority, I say these things. I say this. He's saying this isn't a subjective opinion. This isn't me pushing my ideas down your throat. This isn't Paulinism. This isn't my new version of it. With the Lord's authority, I'm speaking on behalf of Jesus. I say these things. We must remember here, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. Every, every word comes from him, that it speaks to who God is and who we are and how we're called to live. It's the very, the spirit of God is the very author of the words in these scriptures. And so when Paul starts this paragraph with, with the Lord's authority, I say this, he's doubling down on a reality that they already believed, that these words were from God. He is saying, I, ju just to remind you, just to remind you, this isn't me speaking right now, but I say this with all of the authority of the living God, the creator of the universe behind me. And then he goes into a long grocery list of all sorts of things that we're like, oh, that's kind of harsh, Paul, right? Like, but what Paul is trying to do is this, is he, throughout these early chapters of Ephesians, Paul has been reminding the church over and over again that they are now in Christ. And because they're in Christ, they're in a new family. They have a new community. And they have a new reality. They have a new reality. And this text once again speaks to this and speaks to not just, uh, not just to these ideas that we believe, but how these things are called to overflow and go into our everyday life, the way that we think and the way that we live. The temptation of the Ephesians and our temptation is this, to know about Jesus, to have learned his ways, but not live them. To know about Jesus, to have learned his ways, but not live them. To believe these things in our head, but not in our hearts and not from our hearts to our hands and our speech. To just keep it there as simply ideas. For them and us, the temptation is to continue to slip back, to continue uh, to, to either live in our former way of life or to slip back into our former way of life. And so Paul begins to challenge them on, on the praxis, their faith in action regarding their beliefs played out in the real world in light of this new reality. And he starts with this statement, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Church of Ephesus, live no longer like the Gentiles do. Now, this word Gentiles here, if, you, if you've likely heard it before, uh, you, you probably have some understanding. In most contexts, when it uses this word, here's what it means. It means those who belong to cultures, communities, and countries that were not Jewish in blood, culture, or religion. This is the primary use of, of this word. It's to represent everybody else. You have the Jews and it's, it's everybody else. And so if you haven't noticed, unless you have Jewish lineage, you are a Gentile, okay? You are a Gentile and, and he's speaking to you. Live no longer like those who are not part of this community, this Jewish community. But, 
this isn't exactly what Paul is saying here. He's not actually encouraging them to become Jewish. He's not encouraging them to embrace the Jewish way of living and thinking and acting, although much of that is now applied to to the way in which we as believers live. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, live no longer like those who have not associated with, believe in, and follow Jesus. It's actually bigger than that. In fact, there are many Jews who are now in this statement included in this statement. Live no longer like those who have not aligned themselves and their lives with the person of Jesus Christ. Live no longer like they do. So this would have been a challenging statement to not just the Gentiles, but also the Jews. What do you mean? There's a third way? There's a new way of living? Paul is saying that we are to to no longer live like those who do not follow Jesus. And this isn't a call, like I said, to Judaism, but he's calling them to be Christ-like. And that's the title of today's message. It's the title in your Ephesians books that you'll notice. It says that we we are called to now be like Christ, to align ourselves with him. Therefore, we cannot read this text and replace Gentiles. We can actually read this text and replace Gentiles with any country, community, or kingdom that doesn't align, the way, uh, doesn't align with the way of Jesus Christ. So in a sense, we could say this. As the Ephesians were reading this, they, they could read it as live no longer as the Ephesians do. Or for us, we could read it as live no longer like the Canadians do. Or live no longer like the Vancouverites or Port Moodyans. Sorry, it was consensus, right? Uh, (laughs) Do. (laughs) But rather live, believe, and think in a new, otherworldly kind of way like the God-man Jesus Christ did. Paul is encouraging us to live a third way in a third way that is not Judaism, it is not Gentilism, it is, it, is, it is Christianity. It is what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus. But some who would have heard this would have kind of been confronted about it. What do you mean? What's wrong with the way that we live? Are you criticizing me here, right? Like, it's like, you know, it's like, it's, we've got a pretty good culture, right? It's like, there, there would have been some who would have heard this. What's wrong with the way? This is always the way that things have been done. For those of you who are getting married or married, you've likely had a conversation that goes like this. Uh, there, there's usually some way of doing things that you notice that your significant other does not do them in the same way. And you go, hey, well, just wait a second. Like with our new family, can we do things like this? And then maybe they respond, well, this is the way we've always done things. Like, what's wrong with that, right? And, it's like, and then they start to explain their way of doing things, whether it's uh, praying before dinner, whether it's, uh, you know, on Saturdays we go on hikes, whatever it might be. And you go, that's just weird. It's unusual. It's strange. What's wrong with the way that we do things? I, you know, and I, I experienced this 
this tension when I got married to Jessica. Jessica came from, uh, our, our families, all, you know, we love each other. It's all that kind of thing. But very different upbringings, very different uh, normalities, very different ways uh, of, of just operating on basic day-to-day things. And there was many conversations where Jessica goes, what do you mean? This is how we, this is how we always did Christmas, right? This, this, this just came up at Christmas. This is like just fresh off my mind right now. Where she's like, you know, I was, I, we were talking about what we're going to have for breakfast for Christmas. We've been married 10 years, okay? And this is still happening, okay? This is still happening. We're talking about what we're going to have for breakfast for Christmas, right? And she goes, oh, well, it, you know, it, we always have to have like a, a hard-boiled egg, a mandarin orange, and Christmas, the Christmas bread or the Christmas loaf. I'm like, like, can't we just do like, you know, like, like sunny side up? Like, that sounds right. Like bacon, right? It's like, well, no, but we've always had this, right? <laughs> Maybe you've experienced this as well. You, you've experienced, well, what's, what's wrong with our way of doing things? And I wonder, if, as the audience would have heard this to begin with, they might have said, well, what's wrong with the way that the Gentiles do things? I'm a Gentile. I was raised Gentile. I think Gentile life's pretty good. I, I like the way that the Ephesians do it. And you might say, I like the way the Canadians do it or the Vancouverites do it. Paul is challenging the Ephesians to not embody, embrace, and emulate the dominant culture that surrounded them, but rather to live righteously and in a way that was set apart, to be in the world and not of it, like I said. Uh, Here's what this would have looked like for for the Ephesians. The Ephesians had set up their lives and built their lives around the temple of the god Artemis. Everything, everything centered around the temple the temple in the city of Ephesus. So much so that Ephesus was often called the husband of Artemis. That Artemis, the god Artemis, was the wife of the city. She was the boss. She was the one who wore the pants. She gave the order. She set the rules. She said how life would happen and exist within the context of that city. And so they built all of their lives around Artemis and the temple of Artemis. They were also in the Roman Empire. They were called the Diamond of the Roman Empire, one of the most beautiful cities. I've been there. It was a real place. Incredible architecture, one of the most incredible cities to have ever grazed, uh, graced the, this earth. Beautiful. It was, a, it was in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was hedonistic culturally. The use of drugs and alcohol and sex were incorporated into their daily life and even were involved in their worship services. The the worship of many gods in that day included these types of things. Pleasure and desire were the motivation of the average person's decision, and knowledge and education was one of the highest currencies. Uh, Ephesus was home to one of the largest libraries in in, in the ancient world. I saw it. It was massive. Uh, The educated would be more successful, and Paul is challenging them not to embody these things. It's not that they they can't enjoy some of these things, but they they are not to center their lives around these things. For us as Canadians, here's what it might look like. Although there's much similarities between Roman Ephesus and North American culture in some ways, uh, unlike them, rather than building our lives around the temple and gods, we feel tempted to live as practical atheists. We, 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 we feel tempted to live under the assumption that even if God exists, 
Even if God exists, he is largely irrelevant to the real business of everyday life. He doesn't really matter. We, we, we are tempted towards a moralistic, therapeutic deism. That's a very long way of saying, yeah, well, well you know, maybe we'll, we'll try and be good people. We'll virtue signal. Uh, we'll go towards, uh, you know, things that are therapeutic, that make us feel good. And deism, when, when we feel like it, when we feel like God is not irrelevant, we may include God into our lives. When things are going really hard and we, we, we you know, want to lift up a prayer uh, and we really need him, okay, yeah, God might exist and I'll include him in the equation. Oh, it's, it's Christmas, uh, the story of Christmas. Okay, I'll go, I'll go to a Christmas Eve service. Oh, okay, I, my, my child's being born and needs to be ba- you know, baptized. Okay, I'll baptize my baby. We include, we, we go towards what we think is good and true. We chase after the things that will make us feel good and we include God whenever we think he's relevant, but we're most of the time drawn to a practical atheism that says, even if God exists, he is irrelevant, he doesn't matter, I'm just going to live my life. And this is the pro- predominant belief of most Canadians. I think about the, the book of judgment, uh, the book of judges, where it says the people did what was right in their own eyes. I think that summarizes us today. Rather than doing what is right and good as defined by God, we, we do what feels good, seems good, and we redefine what is good and evil for ourselves. Like the first people, we try to redefine good and evil. We reject the giver of life. We decide to try our hand at being God. I like the way that Eugene Peterson, the message, when he's translating this verse, here's the way he describes Uh, what Paul is saying. He says, they have refused for so long to deal with God. They've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. A way of, of living and thinking that is out of step with reality because God is the creator of reality, and when he's missing from the equation, then, then all of life is confused and doesn't make sense. Much of what Paul has been describing in this text Something has been corrupted in the human mind since the fall. And since then, we as people have reasoned and made decisions from twisted truth. And this confusion leads to all of these things that Paul spoke of. Darkness and wandering and no sense of shame and stifled consciences. Eagerly chasing after things that don't bring life. So what do we do? If this is true of the Ephesians, their way of living was separated from God. If this is true for us, that our way of living was separated from the one true God, it was out of step with reality, how can we do this? And if all minds and hearts are bent this way, how could anyone save themselves? How could we determine the truth? Well, we needed someone from outside of the human Uh, the human experience. We needed someone outside of our lineage. We needed someone outside of our ancestry to help us realign ourselves with life and truth. We needed a divine mind, the God of the universe, to become flesh and show us who he is, what he is like, and tell us how we're called to live. Because we, as humanity, because of our brokenness, could not distinguish truth from a lie. And we chased after things that hurt us and harmed us. And so as Christians, we believe the person of Jesus Christ is that person who came from outside of us 
to give us the truth, to show us uh, how we're called to live, to give us new direction. The God of the universe made it possible for us to think and live differently than our default, than our ancestors did, because why? Because we have seen Jesus. Look what he says here. But this isn't what you've learned about Christ. This isn't what you've learned from Christ. One translation says, this, is, this isn't uh, like when you learned Christ. When you learned Christ, you, you didn't learn these things. Since you've heard about Jesus, we have learned the truth that comes from him. He says these ways of thinking and living are not in line with the Jesus you know. You've heard of how he lived, he loved. You've heard his teachings and his truth. Now allow him by his spirit to set you free from your former way of living, thinking, and acting into a new life, into a new reality, into a new way of being, a third way, a third way that is better, that is life-giving. And he starts with our thinking. He says, notice this, what he says. He says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, as he writes in Romans chapter 12. That we are called to be a people who allow and let God to do something in our hearts and our minds to change our thinking. This word renew, it is present tense. It's not past, it's not future. In the Greek, it is a present tense, meaning it is not just simply a past event or a future hope, but something that we are to continually allow him to do. That after being saved, each of us must be renewed by the Spirit. It's a process called sanctification. It's a large word that simply means being made more and more into the likeness of God, being made more and more into the likeness of Jesus. It's this slow, it's painfully slow sometimes, isn't it? Slow and lifelong process by which God changes our thinking and transforms our mind to create a person that looks like Jesus. And this work, it's, it's by Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I love uh, the way Daryl Johnson puts it. Here's what he says. This is what Jesus Christ has come to do. He enters the world ruined by the choices of the futility of the mind, and he heals the human mind. He takes hold of our minds and rewires them, helping us to think clearly once again. To think clearly once again. There have been studies that have shown that the people who struggle with addiction, uh, no matter what kind of addiction it may be, it could be coffee addiction. <laughs> uh, it could be uh, it could be a entertainment addiction. It could be uh, harder substances. It could be pornography. It could be any uh, many different things. The biggest challenge for anyone who is struggling with addiction is the fact that the human mind, what it does, is that as it travels to a certain destination time and time again to seek pleasure or relief or whatever it may be that it's seeking, energy, what happens is that in the human mind, it creates neural pathways, highways and byways. Think of the highway one without traffic. Uh, and it's in that, that we go time and time again, these major routes uh, that, that people take. And this what happens in the human mind is that it carves out these neural pathways that make these roads the most accessible, the most obvious. And, and that's why time and time again, people who are struggle to put aside and put away addiction uh, will oftentimes just so easily fall down that path once again. But here's what this text is telling us. It's telling us that, that 
The Spirit of God has the power to renew the human mind, to reroute our neural pathways, to create new highways and byways that lead to life and not destruction. That God can actually change the human mind. That by the Spirit of God, He can renew our thoughts and our attitudes. He can change that which is broken. He can change that which uh, that, that we struggle with. He, he changes us. And there's a number of different ways of thinking, I think, that are, are not true about you and I who are in Christ anymore that we keep going with, that we keep believing. I wish I could refute them all today, but for the sake of time, I want to address one. The first is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, here's something I want you to know. That you are not primarily any longer a sinner. We as the church, and I myself in many sermons, have have hammered home this idea over and over and over again. Yet you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Yes, we sin. Don't get me wrong. You, you were a sinner. You absolutely were, and you still do sin from time to time again. But when the God of the universe looks at you, he no longer sees you as a sinner, but he sees a saint. He sees someone who is holy. He sees someone who is set apart. He sees someone who is, who is new in Christ. I've said this, um, this line before, but I'll say it again. Sin may explain my activity, the things that I do, but it's not my identity. My identity is in Christ, and by the Spirit's power, I can begin to change my activity to align with my identity. It's a lot of words, but here's what it's saying. It's saying this, is that sin, this former way of being that we are sinners, is no longer our primary uh, identity and is no longer our reality because in Christ in Christ we have been made a new creation in Christ in the very first verse of the book of Ephesians he says to the saints who are in Ephesus to the saints who are in Ephesus the very ones who are doing all of these things that he'll speak of in these next few chapters and yet Paul looks at them and I believe God looks at us and he says you are no longer sinners you are saints you used to sin you used to be a sinner you used to be separated from the way of God but, but God, as we learned in chapter 2, has done a new thing in you. He has given you a new identity, a new way of thinking, a new way of acting. And so here's how this changes our day-to-day life, really practically. Um, sometimes I sin. <laughs> sometimes I sin. Ask my wife. It's more than sometimes, right? I, sometimes I sin. And if I believe that at my very core, my primary identity is this, that I'm a sinner, that when I sin, I go, oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Of course I'll sin. Yeah, I guess that's just, that's just how I'm wired. It's what I'm, I guess this is what I do. And we justify it and we move on. But if we see ourselves primarily as saints, as new creations, when we sin... And I'm sure you will. You say, that right there is not who I am. I'm not defined by it. I will not live in light of it. That's not who I am. That is who I used to be. That's who I used to be. This is just a, it's a, it's a shadow of the past. It's, a, it's an aftershock of the earthquake. It's not the real deal. It's not who I am. I'm a saint. I'm a saint in Christ. So I, I no longer have to live as I used to. 
I no longer have to live in light of my former way of life. In fact, by the Spirit's power, I can live in my new nature that is righteous, that is holy, that is made to be like God. I I know I just sinned. I know I'm doing a good job of fooling you that I'm a sinner, but actually in Christ, I'm a saint. I have a new reality. I have a new identity. And what we just saw there does not align with it. It doesn't align with it. That's not who I am. That's who I used to be. That's who I used to be. So the next time you sin, would you say to yourself, not while I'm a sinner, of course, that makes sense. Yeah, whatever. No. Oh. That's who I used to be. That is not who I am. In Christ, I am a new creation. In Christ, I can throw off my old nature. I can throw off my former way of life. And I can embrace this new reality by the Spirit's power. He he encourages us to do this, to throw off our old self and embrace the new. Uh, look, Look what he says. He says this in verse 22. Throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. It says, truly, truly righteous and holy. This reminded me of the text in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since I'm surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the life of faith, let me strip off everything. Let me strip off every weight that slows us down and especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let me run with endurance the race that is set before me, fixing my eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of my faith. Each of us has an old nature that no longer fits the new thing God is doing in us, the new person that you and I are becoming coming. And Ephesians encourages us to throw off and to throw out our old reality because it doesn't fit the new any longer. I remember, um, I've told this story in a few different variations before, but uh, more than probably eight years ago, nine years ago, I, was, I became very sick. Very, very sick to the point where I, I weighed 120 pounds. Uh, I was, you know, I couldn't stand up for very long without feeling like I was going to black out. It was an awful, awful time of my life. And I looked like this. Where's, there's that photo, right? Just a shell of myself, skin and bones and barely any muscle. And I remember after getting diagnosed with Addison's disease and I began to take the medication, I started to gain the weight back, like very quickly. Uh, suddenly 120 to 130, 150, and 160, and 70, and so you get the picture, right? <laughs> But here was the thing, okay? I went through, I was, as I became the, the person I actually was supposed to be as, I be, as I began to grow into the body I was meant to have, not this old dying shell of myself, the clothes in which I regularly wore no longer fit. They, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get, get my, my jeans on anymore. There was t-shirts, some of my favorite piece of, pieces of clothing, things that I love to wear at certain times of years. I remember trying to put on a suit. Uh, and I was like, ah, it doesn't fit. And, and so slowly and slowly, I just became the guy who was just wearing clothes that were far too tight for his body. It was awkward, right? I needed a new wardrobe. 
I remember going shopping and buying new clothes and things like that. And it was funny. Jessica was talking to, uh, to a friend of ours, talking about uh, how I had changed so drastically over a two-year period. I remember them saying, oh, wow, you're so lucky, Jessica. You have a new husband every year, right? Like, <laughs> so funny. But my old clothes, and I had to go through a couple different wardrobes. I, I, I bought some new clothes, and I grow a little more. I bought some new clothes. And then I actually, I realized I was on too, med, too much medication. I cut down my medication, and I shrunk down. But the point was this. My old clothes did not fit my new reality. And so I needed to throw them out. I needed to Marie Kondo my life. I, 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 I needed to make a trip to Value Village. I needed to get rid of the old. There was no point in hanging on to these old clothes any longer because they did not fit the new thing, the new person that God was, that, that, that I had become. And the truth is, is that for you and I, we need to throw out the old, the former way of living, thinking, and acting because they do not fit the new reality. They do not fit the new person that you are becoming and that God is creating in you. Now here's the temptation for us, and I'll end with this thought. The temptation for us when we hear a text like this, live no longer like the Gentiles do. Throw off your old self and put on the new. That we could end up coming to a place in our life where we feel like we need to do this ourselves. Okay, I gotta get rid of that old way of life. Okay, I gotta, you know, I gotta push it out. And I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't require human effort. There's hard choices ahead for you. I remember um, in youth ministry when I would preach messages like this, I'd have kids walk up to me straight up with like their vape pens and stuff like that, uh, and, and you know, and saying like, "Hey, can you, could you take this from me? Could you get rid of this? I, I don't want, I don't want this in my life anymore." I remember kids coming up to me with. Uh, with, with all sorts of things, hard drives, different, like, weird stuff over the years, just weird stuff, saying, like, I, I need to get rid of this. But the trick that the enemy would love, love for us to believe, the, the false truth that he would love for us to buy into, the thing that our flesh would desire to do is that we would try and do that by our own strength. And here's what I'll tell you. The times where I've tried to do things in my own strength, what has happened time and time again is that I, what I end up doing is I just end up going back to that same thing. But when we let the Spirit of God renew our thoughts and our attitudes, when we allow Him by His power to help us to throw off and to put on this new reality, it, it can actually become something that is lasting and not temporary. I remember the story from uh, C.S. Lewis's The Voyage of the Dawn Shredder. Maybe you've read this book, and I pulled it out this week as I was thinking of it. Two weeks in a row, C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia <laughs> illustrations. But there's this, um, this one story in this book, you, you may recall it. It's a story of a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub. <laughs> I love the line, it says, he almost deserved the name, right? <laughs> And uh, it's a story that Eustace wanders off by himself. He stumbles upon a dragon's cave. And the, the cave is filled with piles of gold and treasure. At lust is awakened within his heart. He covers himself, uh, you know, like Scrooge McDuck, just covers himself in gold and treasures that he found. And after some time, he falls asleep on the pile of gold. 
and a gold bracelet on his arm. And when he wakes up, he discovers to his horror that he has become a dragon. The story, the, the message here is that we often become that which we lust after. One week later, he meets Edmund, one of the children from the story. And, and we pick up the, the story in, in the story, Eustace is sharing his experience. Uh, he, he talks about during this time while he was a dragon, he had become a dragon, he encounters this lion named Aslan. And the lion brings him to a well, which the, the, the book describes as a very big and round bath made with marble steps going down. And the water was as clear as anything, he says. I thought if I could get in there and bathe, it would ease my pain. But the lion told me I must undress first. He says, I was just going to say I couldn't undress because I hadn't had any clothes on when suddenly I thought that dragons are snaky sort of things and snakes can cast off their skins and of course I thought that's what the line meant so it says in the story he began to scratch himself and it says my scales began coming off all over the place and then I scratched a little deeper and instead of just scales coming off here and there the whole skin started to peel away beautifully like it does after an illness, he says, or like the peeling of a banana. In a minute or two, I stepped out of it, and I could see it lying there beside me, looking rather nasty. It was the most lovely feeling. So I started to go down into the bath, but then I discovered, he says, I was still covered in scales. And he removes another layer, and he's scratching at himself, trying to remove the scales to, to unearth what is underneath. And then the text, the book says this, then the lion said, you have to let me do this for you. It says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty near desperate now, so I just lay flat down on my back and let him remove them. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And he began pulling off the skin and it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it it was actually just the, the pleasure of the feeling that the stuff was removed. He says, well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. And just as I thought, I had done it myself three times, only it hadn't hurt. There it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, smooth and soft as a peeled, uh, and, and peeled but I was smaller than I was before. And then he caught hold of me, and I didn't like that because I was very tender now, but he threw me into the water, and it hurt like anything in that moment. But after that, it became perfectly delicious. As soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone. And then I saw why. I had turned into a boy again. And then the lion clothed Eustace, and he finds himself back with the other children, and he wonders if it all was a dream. And Edmund says to him, no, it wasn't a dream. He says, look, you're wearing the clothes that he gave him. He says, well, if it's not a dream, what do you think it was? He said, I think you've seen Aslan. You have seen Jesus Christ. You've heard Jesus Christ. You've learned from Jesus Christ. He is renewing your mind. He is freeing you to lay aside the old human and to put on the new. A few pages later, it says, from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. 
To be strictly accurate, he, he, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses time and time again. There were still many days he could be very tiresome. But most, but most of those I shall not notice, the text says, because the cure had begun. Here's what Paul is inviting you and I into, and that was a very long-winded way of saying this. He's inviting you to allow the spirit, I'm going to invite up the band, to remove the old way of thinking and living and acting. He's allow, you allow the spirit of God, Jesus Christ, to remove the dragon skins and remove the dragon scales, to reveal that under the surface there is a new creation, a new person, a new reality. Paul in this text is inviting us into a new way of thinking and living that doesn't take our cues from country or community or culture or family of origin, but rather from Jesus. To let Jesus, by, uh, by the person and power of the Holy Spirit, transform us. For us as Christians to remember that we have learned from Jesus and for these things to, that we have learned from Jesus, not to just fill notebooks, but our hearts and our minds to learn from Jesus, to get close to him, to understand him to love him in such a way that it would transform us from the inside out, to accept the offer of Jesus who in Matthew 11 says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's inviting us in this text to learn a new way, to learn to be new humans, that we would live lives that would emulate Jesus, the one true human. Paul is calling us to live in a way that is congruent with the alternative reality brought into being through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which has changed everything. And so here's my question as we conclude. Will you accept his offer? Will you allow him to begin to remove the scales? Will you allow him by his power to help you to put off the clothes that do not fit? Would you, would you trust him enough to no longer walk in your former way of, of living? Would you believe him that he is good and that the ways that in which he offers us, the lifestyle that he gives to us actually brings life? Do you accept it? Let the Holy Spirit renew your mind. Let the Holy Spirit change your actions so that you can truly begin to live as the new human you were meant to be. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing together. Jesus, thank you so much for this incredible truth that we no longer have to live like the Canadians do. We no longer have to live in a reality that, that operates and exists as if you are not there and you are not real. We no longer have to chase after things that are confused and darkened and lead to death. But God, you have given us through your spirit the possibility of having a new life and a new reality to be holy, to be righteous, to be made like you. And so I pray today that you would help us to do that by your Holy Spirit and that you would change our thinking so that we would believe that we could be new. Help us to do that, I pray, this week. Change us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.
Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.